Good evening and welcome to Matters of Life. I'm John Lucier, and thank each and every one of you for joining me this evening. We're going to get into the Word, looking at what it means to know the Lord. And that comes from Jeremiah chapter 22. So, before we get in there though, into the Word, and into the topic that we're going to discuss this evening, let's just bow for a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you're our God and we're your people, that this honor and privilege that you've given us to come before you, although we know we remain in your presence, we don't hold lightly, but we esteem you above any and everything. You're our God and we're your people. We thank you and we praise you. We know we are joint heirs with Christ. So we ask you to open everyone's eyes and ears that they may see you move and moving in what you're doing, but also hear what you have for them to lead us to become conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. All right, so as, as we were just saying, what it means to know the Lord is the title of this, this episode coming from Jeremiah chapter 22, which is a message concerning the kings at that time. It actually begins in verse 13 through 17, which says, Woe to him who builds his house without righteousness and his upper rooms without justice, who uses his neighbor's services without pay and does not give him his wages who says, I will build myself a roomy house with spacious upper rooms and cut, off, cut out its windows, paneling it with cedar and painting it bright red. Do you become a king because you are competing in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He pled the cause of the afflicted and needy. Then it was well. Is not that what it means to know me, declares the Lord. But your eyes and your heart are intent only upon your own dishonest gain and on shedding innocent blood and on practicing oppression and extortion. So as the Lord brought me to this, it's easy, although incorrect, to get caught up on the message that this only applies to kings. Right? Yes, it was written in the time he was speaking to kings. But let's understand a few things. First and foremost, we are a nation of kings and priests, those that are the Lord's. Christians, believers. God is our God and we are his people. But he has made us a kingdom of kings and priests. Isaiah 28.5 says, on that day, the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory, a diadem of splendor to the remnant of his people. Well, who, who is the remnant? And what does that have to do with kings, you may ask? Well, it's a wonderful question. But in this, and we're going to get to it, we, the whole point that he, the Lord is expressing here through his word, to, uh, in his word through Jeremiah, is that they are to know the Lord all the kings. And yes, as I said, it's easy to look at those elected officials, whether it's federal, state, or local. As we covered even in the last episode, 
what are we doing to our fellow neighbor? Are we exhibiting the same unrighteous behavior that we despise in those that have been put in authority over us? Or are we adhering to the righteous standard found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? He asks in verse 15 of what we just read in Jeremiah chapter 22. He asked them, do you become a king because you are competing in cedar? And I think it's a, a wonderful question. The answer should be a resounding no. <clears throat> I have yet to hear a speech. And I'll just look at the United States, although we could speak around the world. And, and any person running for any type of office, but especially in the United States towards D.C., the same phrase is typically said how it's all messed up in D.C., and they are running to look out for the people and to bring about change in and for the nation, to better the people. And that's more or less what the Lord is asking here. Did you become a king because you're competing in cedar, because you're trying to build yourself up? That's never what's stated. It's always to better the people. And then the Lord immediately goes into, didn't your father do this? Didn't your predecessors look out for the people? They did justice, they did righteousness, they pled the cause of the afflicted and the needy. And then then it was well, when they were doing the righteous things that the Lord had asked them, that, and I'll say, bearing the fruit of a relationship with the Lord. The Lord always pleads the cause of the widow, the orphan, the homeless, always. He always looks out for, for the needy. So when a seed goes in the ground, it, it bears fruit in kind. So we have to examine ourselves on what we planted. And again, it's easy to, to think it only applies towards leaders, towards kings, world leaders, elected officials. But we have to ask ourselves, are we exhibiting the same behaviors? Or are we exhibiting and producing fruit in kind that resembles, looks like, and holds itself to the same standard found in our Lord and Savior? And in this section of Scripture in Jeremiah 22 is a continuation of what we find in Jeremiah 21. Excuse me. Some very interesting things take place. In verse 2, or the first couple of verses, the word of the Lord again came through Jeremiah to King Zedekiah, who asked him to inquire of the Lord on his behalf, because there was a war. There was a war happening with King Nebuchadnezzar. And the desire was that the Lord would deal, and this is what it says in verse 2, perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful acts so that the enemy will withdraw from us. But then in verse 4, the Lord says that he's about to turn back the weapons of war which were in King Zedekiah's hands. 
the ones that he was using to war against the king of Babylon and the Chaldeans who were besieging him outside his wall. And then he would gather them in the center of the city and the Lord himself would war against them with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm and even in anger and wrath and indignation. And even strike down the inhabitants of the city, both man and beast. And he doesn't stop there. He continues in verse 8. And then he says, you shall say to the people, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will set before you the way of life and the way of death. He who dwells in this city will die by the sword and by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes out and falls away to the Chaldeans who are besieging you will live, and he will have his own life as booty. For I have set my face against this city for harm and not for good, declares the Lord. It will be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will burn it with fire. Then say to the household of the king of Judah, Hear the word of the Lord, O house of David. Thus says the Lord, Administer justice every morning and deliver the person who has been robbed from the power of his oppressor, that my wrath may not go forth like fire and burn with none to extinguish it because of the evil of their deeds. Behold, I am against you, O valley dweller, O rocky plain, declares the Lord. You men who say, who will come down against us? Who will enter into our habitations? But I will punish you according to the results of your deeds, declares the Lord. And I will kindle a fire in its forest, that it may devour all its environs. And as I I read that in chapter 21, again, it's easy to have this, I'll say, outdated perspective with the time the time of Jeremiah and that it was a time of kings and it only applied to them. And that would be incorrect because the word applies to us even today. So looking at this, looking at what's required of us, remember we also are kings and priests. Are we extorting our fellow brethren? Although make no mistake, there is definitely kings or world leaders, elected officials that have, I'll say it in this way, it's not a war that's being fought against another nation, although there are are wars and rumors of wars also happening in this time. These things, these, these weapons, have been utilized against this nation's own citizens and not just in the United States, but we have seen this for anyone that truly will look, that will listen, that will let the Lord reveal those things to them. These are the same tactics used by many nations leaders against their own people. Not, this is not just specific to the United States. This is throughout the entire world. In the United States, yes, we hear about it a lot in our nation, how certain people have been viewed and treated as if they were at war against them. 
that the people were and treated as if they were actually laying siege to the White House and to state capitals and things of the like. But that's not been the case. There's not been mass protests and marches. Because the people, those that are righteous, that are saying, Lord, there is an issue. We don't like it. They have been petitioning the Lord of hosts. They have been pleading their cause in prayer before the courts of heaven, asking the Lord himself to intervene. And the Lord is saying, and and this is what I understand of this, is that the Lord is about to turn the weapons that have been utilized against the righteous. He's about to reverse that. And in verse 8, well, and, and I'll say this, is there's before verse 5, the Lord himself is about to war for his people. But in verse 8, he gives them, he says, I've set before you life, the way of life and the way of death. And then what's required? He tells those that they don't have to perish. But if they will submit to the Chaldeans, if they will go out, those who dwell in the city, if they go out and fall to the Chaldeans. But again, as I was just saying, and what I sense from the Lord is, the Chaldeans are the people of this nation who have been oppressed by the number of ways and weapons that their own government has tried to oppress them, or not tried to, but oppress them. And we talked about some of those ways last week with the with price gouging, with extortion, with inflation, and the like. <clears throat> Attempting to utilize government agencies and bureaus and departments against certain citizens selectively not promoting a standard of justice. Creating oppression. If they would submit to those who they've extorted and oppressed, then the Lord would forgive them. But make no mistake, they have still heaped up and unleashed the wages of sin in their own life. It's no different, if you will, than what David did in his own house. As soon as he submitted and repented to the Lord, the Lord forgave him. But he had already unleashed the sword in his own house. And it not only impacted his house, it also impacted the nation. There were the uprising. His own, David's own children rose up against him, led a coup. David had to go escape and then reclaim the throne and bring about justice. Now, that wasn't the Lord punishing David. That was what David had unleashed in his own household. The wages of sin is death. 
And there's, when we unleash sin, there is no way that you can calculate, that you can gauge the extent or the damage that it will cause. So the Lord is telling everyone, doesn't matter if you are a, an actual king, as in a world leader, or if you are the king of your castle, your own household, this applies to everybody. There's one standard that the Lord has. It applies to the small as well as the great. Now, yes, he does expect more from those who he's given much to. Much will be required. But let's also understand it for us, for our own lives. What's required of us? Have we oppressed others? Have we not assisted the needy? Does that work? Does, do those actions or utilized what we have as leverage against them, as a weapon against them, in order to build up ourselves? Have we built houses without righteousness and upper rooms without justice, as we first read in Jeremiah 22? And at the beginning of, of Jeremiah chapter 22, the first three verses say this, Thus says the Lord, Go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on David's throne, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness and deliver the one who has been robbed from the power of the oppressor. Also do not mistreat or do violence to the stranger, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. But then he tells them, he again repeats what he has been saying. If you attempt to do the opposite of what the Lord is saying, I'm paraphrasing, then the Lord himself would be against them. And again, Let's not get caught up in the time period, but let's look at it and how it applies to our lives today. You know, Job is also an example of this. In Job chapter 29, it's really verses 7 through 18. He makes these statements over and over. How he, When he took his seat in the square, there was respect from both the old and the young. And even those that were in power, right, princes stopped talking and put their hands on their mouths. The voice of nobles was hushed. But he says that in verse 12, I delivered the poor, or what their cause was. He said, because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the orphan who had no helper. The blessings of the one ready to perish came upon me, and I made the widow's heart sing for joy. In verse 14, this is key says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was a robe and a turban. Again, back to the crown, back to royal dress. He then continues, says, I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy and I investigated the, ca the case, which I did not know. I broke the jaws of the wicked and I snatched the prey from his teeth. And then I thought, I shall die in my nest. 
and I shall supply my days, multiply, excuse me, my days as the sand. He lived a lifetime of righteousness, of doing righteousness, of reflecting what the Lord desired. How do we know that's what the Lord desires? Let's look at Isaiah 59. Verses 15 through 21 says, Lord says, yes, truth is lacking, and he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. Now the Lord saw, and it was displeasing in his sight, that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man, and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation to him, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness like a a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head, He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. According to their deeds, so he will repay. Wrath to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the coastlands he will make recompense, so they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the the wind of the Lord drives." A redeemer will come from come to Zion, and those who turn from transgression to Jacob, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit which is upon you, and my words which I have put in your mouth, shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, offspring excuse me, says the Lord, from now and forever. And yes, I know there's a lot of Old Testament in there, but it's no different there than it is in Romans. We're encouraged to let us, and this is Romans 13, 13, and 14, let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, nor in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. But isn't that the source of quarrels and fights and extortion and oppression and all those things? So when will we put on righteousness and do justice? And like the Lord, there was a zeal. Are we zealous to be like our Lord, to actually know him and to do what he's leading us to do in the moment? Is the, our love for the Lord that great? that then we can also look upon our neighbor and for their well-being. Job, yes, he had a ton of money. He was known as being rich. Describes him as being wealthy. But how did he get that? He got it by being obedient to the Lord, by being willing and obedient to the Lord from the beginning. If we won't do that, if we won't truly know the Lord and then do what he says to do when we have little, seemingly nothing, or we'll just put it to to where we're at, wherever you're at now in any state, financial or otherwise, if we will refuse to do what the Lord is having us do now, how and why would we expect that to change? When we get much, when we receive much, wouldn't it only continue to exacerbate the issues 
and highlight those things? And is that not what we're seeing? Has that that not been the fruit that we have been observing and experiencing as a result of this, of the actions, the choices, the decisions made by those in authority? And I'm not just talking about the world leaders, I'm talking about you and I, about those in our own household. It starts with me for myself and you for yourself, and then continues to expand throughout your home and your relationship with your spouse and with your children and in your community and so on and so forth throughout the, until it goes throughout the entire earth. So I want us to encourage, I want to encourage us today to know what it means or to truly understand what it means to know the Lord and to put away sin at every level and in every area and aspect of our lives because sin is what unleashes horrific things. And it does not matter if you are a believer or if you are an unbeliever. Engaging in sin opens the door. If you will, there are much consequences that come with it. And those consequences are only designed to steal, kill, and destroy. Look at Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. There's no abacus that can be pulled out to calculate the cost of sin. It's greater than you ever want to pay. So we, for our part, must turn to the Lord and allow him to reveal those things that, that are sinful in our life, uproot them from, our, from those areas and aspects of our life, and replace them with truth. Yes, for our own life, but also to aid those who desire to live righteously and justly, to look out for Yes, the poor, the needy, the orphan, and the widow. Those that are oppressed. That's an extension of us loving the Lord, is loving our neighbor as ourself. So I just want to encourage you tonight with that. Yes, to examine ourselves, but also to live out our relationship with the Lord and put the things away that don't reflect Him our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, his nature, his character, and attributes. And enter into that relationship fully. Amen and amen. Well, thank you for joining me this evening. I look forward to our next podcast on Wednesdays at 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And again, thank you for joining us. I encourage you to continue to live righteously and justly. Amen.